0: Well, thank you so much for joining us here uh, this morning. We're glad you're here. Thank you for joining us online. Sorry, it's a little bit warm in here, but we got good news and bad news on that. Uh, at some point, we are getting air conditioning. We, uh, we got that on the schedule back in May. I called on this week, and they're still waiting for supplies, as everyone in the building world is right now. Uh, but hopefully by next summer, uh, this place might be air conditioned. So uh, something to look forward to. Uh, but today we are continuing in our series, Summer in the Psalms. Um, and as I said, I love the Psalms for so many reasons. But one of the reasons I love the Psalms is just their honesty as they address the struggles and the valleys and the highs of this life. The Psalms, they don't mince words, but they are honest conversations with God that we can sing with, that we can rejoice with, that we can mourn with, and that we can sympathize with. And today we're going to look at Psalm 11. Psalm 11. As David faces an overwhelming situation, uh, a situation that is distressing, that is stressful, and that is fearful. And in the midst of this situation, he receives advice from his friends and his advisors. And the advice is to run from the problem, to hide from the struggle, and to give into the fear. Have you ever had those moments I know I have, where life got difficult, where I was filled with fear and trepidation, and the natural response was to run, to look for greener pastures, to look out for what was best for me in mine, as opposed to what God was calling me to do. As Christians, we face this all the time. God is constantly He's calling us to, to love Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, to love our neighbor as ourself. And each of those commands constantly requires us to give up of our comfort of our preferences for others, when every fabric of our being is saying, do what is best for me. And that's amplified in times of stress and in times of fear. In my life, eight years ago, we moved from Oregon to Montana, and then four and a half years ago, we moved to Wyoming. And when we moved from Oregon to Montana, I left the only state that I had ever lived in. We left behind family and friends. We left a church that we grew up in and that loved us. We left an incredible support system that knew us, that loved us, and that always had our back. And over these eight years, there have been a lot of great days. But there have been also been a lot of uncertain days, fearful days, disappointing days, and sad days. There have been days when we longed to have grandma and grandpa at an event, at a first day of school, at a game, or just there to watch kids for the evening. And when life gets hard, there's always the temptation The small voice in the back of my head saying, just pack up and go home. Run from the problem, the fear, the unknown, and go where there is help, where there is stability, where there are family and friends. There have been times where voices, advisors, and friends have advocated for that. And we have at times longed to be closer to family, but God's never been in it. So what do we do when we are filled with fear and our desire is comfort and our advisors say, run? What do we do when we are stressed, when we are filled with trepidation, and our desire is to run from the problem, and our advisors say, head for the hills? What do we do when things get difficult and we long for, for ease, for safety, and our advisors say, fly like a bird? Where do we turn when everything in us says run, but God says stay? What do we do when life is hard, but God calls us to stay? I think we've all had those moments where we are ready to give up, but God hasn't freed us to give up. What do we do when God's call is hard, is fearful, is difficult, and we want to quit? Where do we turn? Well, in Psalm 11, we get David's response to a crumbling world, to fear and to advice gone wrong. So if you'll turn with me, we'll read David's words and learn with him how we are called to respond to fear, to shaken foundations, and to the unknown that life so often brings. The words of David, starting in verse one In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, Flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. And the upright will seek his face. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these words of David. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to where it is that you are calling us to seek you as our refuge. God, that you would make it clear where it is you are calling us to follow you. And that you would give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom to trust the situation, the circumstances, whatever it is to you. And God, I pray that as we walk through this, that you would just make it clear to us where it is you are calling us to move. And where it is, you're calling us to trust you. yeah. we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So in the first line of verse one, we see the foundation for David's response, to these advisors and to his circumstances. And that foundation is his relationship with God. So everything we talk about today is founded on the assumption that you and I have a relationship with God. The Lord is David's refuge. He is his safety net. He is David's foundation. He is the source of David's life. So our first point today or our foundational question for today is this. Where is your refuge found? Who is your source of life? What is it that you live for? Where do you turn to for sustenance, for life, for hope in good times? But also when things are crumbling around you, where is your hope found? As I mentioned earlier, I grew up in Oregon, and growing up in Oregon, the rain doesn't stop anything. Right? It's just part of life in Oregon. It rains, and life goes on. Kind of how life goes on here in the snow. Recess happens, rain or shine. Soccer happened, rain or shine. Baseball happened, rain or shine. I mean, it always cracks me up that in Green River, you can go to recess if the wind chill is above zero, but as soon as it starts to rain, Cayman tells me they switch to inside recess. Right? The opposite was true in Portland. If there was even a threat of snow, like a 5% chance of snow, we canceled school. But when it rained, coats were optional. Well, anyway, my kids are, are Wyoming kids, uh, and especially our youngest. Theo, who is two years old, he hates the rain. Now, fortunately for him, it rains like, what, 10 days a year here, so he's okay. But when we were on vacation a couple of weeks ago, it started to rain. We were at the rodeo and the carnival in Reno, and a thunderstorm let loose. And so immediately we sought refuge from the rain, and we found a tent with ten of our favorite fellow carnival goers. But the tent provided our refuge. It provided protection from the rain, from the cold. It provided safety, and for poor Theo, it calmed his troubled soul. And so that's kind of what I envision here when I hear the word refuge. It means protections. It means safety, provision, hope in troubling times. Now, obviously, David's troubles and the troubles we face in this life are a lot more dire than a thunderstorm, but it serves as a picture. Where do you turn for cover, for safety, for protection when life is troubling, when it is fearful? For David, in the midst of great difficulty, even life-threatening circumstances at the hands of his enemies, he remained confident in God, who was his refuge. David fled to God as his fortress, his protection in the face of crisis. He didn't put his hope in others or even in himself, in his own intellect, but in God alone. So who is your refuge in the midst of troubling circumstances? Do you turn to God as your refuge or do you turn to yourself? Do you turn to God as your refuge or to others? Or do you tend to escape difficult circumstances, not by turning to God, but by escaping through quitting or running or turning to substances to escape your circumstances? For David, his refuge was God. The giver and sustainer of his life. And I would urge you today that if you are a follower of Jesus, to really examine your life and consider who is your refuge. I know the church answer is Jesus, but what does your life say about what you prioritize, what you turn to in times of trouble and fear? Is it Jesus or is it something else? And if you're here today and you're watching online and you are not a follower of Jesus, then I would ask you to consider that today because God cannot be your refuge. If you are not in a relationship with him. And the Bible tells us that our sin, those things that we do that go against God, where we elevate ourselves to the role of God, they separate us from him. And the Bible tells us that all of us, every one of us in this church, everyone watching online, everyone walking the face of the earth has sinned against God in their life. And the wage or the consequence of those sins is death and eternal separation from God in hell. It is a severed relationship with God that we cannot restore in our own power. In our sin, we are powerless and without hope to be in relationship with God, for him to be our refuge, for him to be our life and our hope. But the good news of the Bible is this, that God loves us. And in fact, he loves us so much that he sends Jesus to make a way for us to be in relationship and restored to him, for us to inherit eternal life with him. The Bible tells us Jesus comes to earth born of a virgin. He lives a sinless, perfect, obedient life that we could not live. He doesn't sin once in his life. Yet he goes to the cross and he takes the penalty, the condemnation, the death, the wrath that your sin and my sin deserves. He pays the penalty that we deserve in our sin on the cross. He dies the death that your sin and my sin deserves. And he doesn't stop there, the Bible tells us. But he rises victorious over death and he's alive and living today. And it is his life, his sinlessness, his righteousness that he offers to any and all that will follow after him. So if you're here today or you're watching online and you are not a follower of Jesus, if Jesus is not your refuge, then I want you to know that God sees you and he knows you and he so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die for your sins. The Bible tells us if you will put your faith in Jesus, if you will repent of your sin, if you will surrender to him and make him Lord of your life, then he is faithful to forgive you. He is faithful to become your source of life and he is faithful to be your refuge at all times. So, the second question is, is Is God your refuge? But do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if not, would you ask your questions? Would you investigate who He is and consider His claims to be God, to be Lord, and to be the one and only way to heaven? And if you're ready to surrender your life and trust Jesus today, you can do that in your seat, or I would love to talk with you after the service is over. But the foundational question as we begin today is Who is your refuge? In your life, is your life, your hope, your refuge found in Jesus, or is it found somewhere else? Because I guarantee that challenges are coming in this life. Disappointments are coming in this life. Hard times are coming in this life. Fearful times are coming in this life. Unknown times are coming in this life. And when they come, where will you turn? For David, his hope was found in God, and that was foundational for his response to a life-threatening time of fear and trepidation. Where is your refuge found? So that's the foundation for this psalm. This is the foundation for David's response. Uh, His refuge was found in God alone. From there, we see the problem, the advice that he received in verses 1 through 3. In verse 3, we read, When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? This is a fascinating phrase, but the word foundations here is a metaphor for social order. So the circumstances being described right here is the turbulent upheaval of the moral values and civic order of their day. So this isn't a flash in the pan crisis, but this is the very foundations of the social order of the known being destroyed in David's life. So what do the righteous do when the known, when the foundations of their society and of their life are being destroyed? Many ways we have lived through this, uh, and in many ways we are still living through this, In the past year and a half, we've had our foundations rocked. Many things that we had assumed were so were shaken. We were asked to isolate for months. Things that we once assumed were safe were now unsafe. If you look at our political, cultural, and moral world, there are things being questioned and things being praised that would have been unheard of 20 years ago. Some of that for the better, but some of it also flies in contrast with the truth of scriptures. So what are we to do when the foundations of our world are shaken? If you want to make this more personal, then the question is, where do we turn when our character comes under attack? Where do we turn when our loved one that is our rock dies? Where do we turn when our health fails or we get that devastating diagnosis? Where do we turn when our relationship falls apart? Where do we turn when our career, our job is now on shaky ground? Where do we turn when those things that you have always counted on begin to fail you? That's where David finds himself. Something in Israel is threatening his kingdom, his leadership, his known, his life, his family. David's known world is in jeopardy. And in the midst of this, his advisors, his counsel, they tell him to flee and to run to the hills. These advisors sense opposition at every turn. They looked on and tear at the wicked who were bending their bows, that were setting their arrows against them, ready to take them down at any moment. These advisors were scared. They didn't know where to turn. And so their inclination was to run from the trial, to run from the storm, and to look out for their own protection as opposed to the nation they were entrusted to lead. But what would happen if David and all these counselors fled? It would create even more chaos and uncertainty for those they were entrusted to lead. Many of you in this room are leaders in your workplace, your family, your community. Take note of this. The advice to run from difficulty didn't just affect David. And it likely doesn't just affect you. There are others to think about. But these advisors, they are panicked, they are fearful, and their encouragement is to run from the trial, to run from the problem, and seek their own safety, their own ease, their own protection. And all too often when we face difficulty, our initial inclination is going to be to run. It's going to be to look out for me. And all the advice the world is going to be to run and look out for yourself. And so our next point is this. In the midst of trial, in the midst of fear, in the midst of difficulty, the world is always going to tell us to run to safety, to comfort, and to ease. There's a similar story that plays out in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus begins to prepare the disciples for his death and resurrection is to come. And Jesus tells the disciples what's about to play out. And Peter then pulls Jesus aside and he says this. He says, Never, Lord. This will never happen to you. Peter means well. He has Jesus' best interest in mind from his perspective. And he says, never will I let you die at the hands of your enemy. He essentially says, run from these enemies and I will protect you. If you're familiar with the passage, what is Jesus' response to this advice? Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Peter wanted the best for Jesus, but he didn't know the plans of God in this case. And in this case, uh, to run was not God's will. Mankind will always tell us to run from the trial, to run from difficulty, to run from the hard things. But it is often in the hard times that God does his greatest work. If Jesus would have listened to the wisdom of Peter, the results would have been disastrous. The results would have been that of Satan. And a real quick side note, we get from both of these stories here, but I think it's a a cautionary point for all of us. As friends, as family members, as acquaintances and co-workers, we often believe we have the answers for everyone else in their life. In this case, we have no reason to believe that David's advisors and Peter meant harm, but instead they meant good. That being said, although they meant well, their advice was disastrous. And so as friends, we must be careful with the advice that we give to others. First, we often just need to mind our own business. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 tells us that. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.13 says, We are not to be busybodies involving ourselves in others' people's lives and drama that doesn't affect us. You and I were not created to solve everyone else's problems. We need to take that to God. Secondly, we cannot be too confident in our perception of other people's circumstances. As outsiders, we rarely have all the information, all the details, the other side of the story, and so we cannot be too confident in our perception of what is going on. In Job 15, his friends confidently declared, I will tell you, hear me, what I have seen, I will declare. They thought they knew what was right, but Job's friends were wrong. Often our motives are good and right, but our advice is wrong. As friends, as advisors, we need to walk humbly, walk cautiously when giving advice to others. Perhaps instead of advising, your best course of action would be to hit your knees and pray for God's wisdom for your friend or family member. David's advisors likely meant well, but their advice was not of God, and it was not grounded in faith. And then lastly, when someone gives you advice, Before just blindly following it, take time to pray and seek the Lord. Make sure you are following God and not man. Now, sometimes people will be the vehicles that God uses to help you know His plan. But other times they will give you well-meaning but bad advice. It's always wise to measure the words of others through Scripture, to the character and purposes of God before making any decision. So when our foundations and our life are shaken, our initial instinct is almost always to run, to find refuge in ourselves, in our wisdom, in the world, and in comfort. That's what David's advisors tell him to do. They repeat the danger, the struggle, the angst, and they say, because of that, you need to run. They remind him that everyone is against him, and I would guess that he heard their words, and his mind began to believe that there was some truth to their wisdom. Yet somewhere in him, in his heart, It told him to run would be to compromise his call from God. One last clarification. There are times that God may call us to leave, that he may call us to run. But even in those times, we go where God is leading us, not where we want to go. He is still the one that is our refuge. There were times that God called the same David to get up and run when Saul pursued him. A few months ago, we looked at the life of Elijah, and God called him to get up, to run from Jezebel, and to go to the Kareth Ravine. But in both of those instances, God said, go, but in that, he was still their refuge. Their refuge was not themselves. It was not the world. It was not their own provision. So when times of fear, of challenge, of trial come, the world will always call us to run to the comforts of the world, to trust the schemes of man as our refuge. But instead, our call as followers of Jesus is not to seek our refuge in the world, but to seek our refuge in God, whether he says stay or he says go and trust me. So then how do we as people of faith, how do we find our refuge in God? The first three verses of the psalm lay out the challenge, and then the next four verses lay out David's response. He could have ran and assured his protection, but David responds in faith. David stands up in the midst of chaos, anxiety, and fear, and he shifts his eyes and the eyes of the nation from the problem to God. So what is the righteous response to fear? In verse 3, David is asked this question by his advisors. When the foundations are shaken, what can the righteous do? That question is phrased as though all is lost, and that to flee is the only solution. It's the only choice. And then David essentially in verses 4 through 7 rephrases that question. And he says as opposed to what can the righteous do, David turns it on its head and he's going to say what can't the righteous do if God is still in control, if he is still sovereign, if he is still on his throne. In David's response to his advisors we see at least three keys to remaining faithful in times of fear. Three keys for the faithful to find their refuge in God. And That first key comes in verse 4. And the first thing we must do in times of trouble and in times of fear is to look to God and trust that He is in control. For all of us, including those of us that are followers of Jesus, it is really easy to slip into the belief that we are the one that is in control, that we are in charge of all things, that the world moves forward because of me. So in times of trouble, we need to step back We need to lift our eyes from our circumstances and look to the God of the universe that David says is on his throne, that is sovereign, that is still in control, that is our sustainer and our protector. Practically, this means pausing when you feel overwhelmed by life and praying and surrendering it to God instead of worrying, instead of dwelling or trying to solve the problem on your own. And then reminding yourself of who God is. David says, the Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. What a great truth to repeat and to remind yourself of when you are feeling overwhelmed. In times of fear, we have to stop believing the lie that it all depends on me and that I am in control. I mean, if there was ever a man that truly ruled the world, it was David. He was the king of Israel, an important and formidable nation. If you would have surveyed the people of Israel, I'm sure that many would have agreed that David ruled the world. Yet in his humility, David here has the wisdom to see his limitations and to recognize that although he may sit on a earthly throne, God is in control and he rules from his heavenly throne. In times of fear and trial, stop believing that we are in control and look to the God that is sovereign, that is in control, and that is more than able to defend to protect and provide when he says stay. He is the only true source of refuge. I I love this illustration. I may have shared it before, but for our inflated belief of control. But one of my my kids' favorite stores to go to is they love to go to the Home Depot. And anytime we go to the Home Depot, they start like 10 minutes out saying, can we get the car carts? Like they love those carts that are like trucks or cars or Jeeps, and they have the Home Depot logo on them. And they love those carts because they have steering wheels in them. And at a young age, when they're in those carts, they believe that they are in control of the cart. They believe that they are driving the cart with those steering wheels. But as they get older, they begin to realize that when they turn the wheel left, that is just as likely to take the cart right. And in the same way, we feel like we are controlling the world. But the reality is we aren't and we never were. God is in control, he is sovereign, and he is good. Romans 8 promises that God is sovereign and he is working all things, not just the perceived good things, but all things for the good of those that worship him and for his glory. So, although things don't make sense to us and they didn't make sense to David, we have to press pause and trust that God is still on his throne, that he is sovereign and that he is in control, even in times of fear and trial. Tim Keller in his work on Psalm 11 said this, he said, When I worry, I know God is ruling the world, but I fear that he won't get it right. How often do we do that? We know in our heads that God rules the world. We would never say this out loud, but we worry that he won't do things or come through the way that we think he should. Martin Luther defines worry as us trying to rule the world. And then he calls us to stop because he says we are not qualified. So in times of fear, we need to lift our eyes from our problems to God and trust that he is ruling and that he has the solutions, the sustenance, and the provision we need. We can trust him in the moment and we can trust him in the long term. He is our refuge in times of trouble. The second key we see is in verses 4 and 5. David says the Lord observes everyone on earth and he examines them. Often the challenges, the difficulties, the trials, and the fearful times of our life are an opportunity that God uses to grow us, to mold us, to teach us. Often it is during times of challenge and difficulty that we grow the most in our faith and our understanding of who God is and who we are in him. So our second key to remaining faithful in times of fear and trial is to embrace the trial and trust the results and the judgment to God. Embrace what we are going through. Don't run from it back to comfort and security, but instead trust that God will use it for His glory and His good just as He promises This goes along with the last point, but instead of fighting difficult things, David says he embraces the trial because he knows that God is going to come through. And he knows that God will grow his understanding and his faith. God uses trials to remove the idols from our lives, to increase the depth of our faith, to equip us for our next calling, and to teach us more about who we are in him. I've probably shared this before too, but before we came to Green River and started Living Hope Church, I was a youth and children's pastor at a church about this size in Montana. And I loved working with kids and youth, and I had really no desire to start a church and no desire at all to be a pastor. But I got thrown into an interim role when the pastor suddenly resigned. And the situation was messy, it was difficult, it was challenging, and everything in me wanted to run. But God used that situation to prepare me, to equip me, to encourage me for what he was calling me to do next. It was in that time of being thrown in the fire that God increased my faith, that he clarified her call and he gave me the confidence to take the next step of faith. It's often when we embrace the trouble and trust God as our refuge that we grow the most. David goes on in verses 5 and 6 to say this, and this seems kind of like a weird thing, but he says, The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked. Those who love violence, he hates with a passion. And on the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. What does that mean? Well, within the test, David can trust that God will provide and use the test for good. But he can also trust that God will handle the results and handle the justice. Often one of the things we struggle with when the foundations are shaken is that our, is in our life is not only trusting God with our life, but trusting him with results of the situation and trusting him to find the guilty guilty. We often want to make sure things turn out the way we think they should, and we want to make sure we get the credit that we deserve, and we want to make sure that the guilty get the punishment, the shame, and the judgment they deserve. David says here, This is an opportunity to prove myself righteous before God, to learn from him, and within that I can trust the results and the judgment to God. What a freeing truth. We can know and trust that God is a God of justice. And even if we don't see that justice played out on our timetable, we can trust it to God. Think about this from like a big national perspective. When I look upon some of the leaders in Washington, when I see how they are shaking the foundations of our morality, when I see uh, some of the things they are advocating for, it grieves me and we can know it grieves the Lord. And there is a part of me that wishes God would just start raining down fire and taking them out for their actions or at the very least voting them out of office. But David says we can trust that to the Lord. Now, that's a very large and impersonal example. But I know and trust that you have instances and people and situations in your life where you need to trust it and trust them to God. So in times of fear, of trial, of difficulty, we can embrace the trial knowing God is and will use it to grow us. We can trust that he's going to use it to teach us and mature us. And in that, we can trust the results and the judgment to God. The Bible doesn't call us to go all Clint Eastwood and start taking revenge on our own. But we can trust justice to God. David concludes his psalm in verse 7 by saying this. He says, the righteous or the upright will seek God's face. So the final key to remaining faithful in times of fear, and times of trial, is to seek God's face. Our instinct in times of trouble is to double down on our self-reliance. It is to turn from God. It is to turn from church. It's to start seeking our answers elsewhere. Our tendency in times of trial is to run back to our old sin, our old comforts, and our own self-reliance. But David's encouragement is the opposite. Instead of running from the circumstances and running from God, we should instead seek God's face. In times of trial, don't run to blogs and self-help books, but run to the Word of God. In times of trial, seek God's face through prayer, through song, through the spoken word. In times of trial, don't run from the church to your couch, to recreational activities, to substances, but instead run to the church. The temptation in times of trial is to run to self and to run to the world. But instead, David urges us to seek God's face and to seek Him alone as our refuge. Pray for wisdom, pray for courage, pray for protection, pray for God's sustenance, pray for faithfulness, pray for God's understanding, and pray for God's eyes and His love. In times of trial, in times of fear, seek God's face. And when we seek God's face, it lifts our eyes from our problems, it reminds us of His faithfulness, of His sovereignty, of His goodness. Of his justice. When we seek God's face, it helps the other keys come into focus and be our natural response. In times of fear and trial, the temptation, the voices will all say run. But in times of fear, we are called to seek God's face, to seek him as our refuge alone. The famous hymn writer John Newton said it like this He said, Begone unbelief, for my Savior is near. And for my relief, He will surely appear. By prayer, let me wrestle and he will perform. When Christ in the vessel, I can smile at the storm. So, what is your response to trial and to fear? Where is it in your life that God is calling you to remain faithful, to seek him as your refuge as opposed to the world, as opposed to your own reserves? So, as we reflect, the first question we had to answer is who is your refuge? And in that, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And if you're here today or you're watching online and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to investigate him, to ask your questions, to investigate his claims. And when you're ready, to surrender your life to him as Lord and Savior. If you have questions and would like to talk to someone, I would love to talk with you. Or anyone else you know that's a follower of Jesus would love to talk with you as well. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then what are some of your worries and fears that often overwhelm your life? What valley is it that you are walking through today that God is calling you to trust him as your refuge? What are the areas of your life that you are trying to control instead of trusting them to God, who is sovereign, who is good, and who is more than capable of handling them? As you you think about those, also think back, what are some times in your past where you've walked through valleys, where you've walked through fearful and challenging times, and you have seen God provide as faithful and trustworthy? Think about those times and remember those times and give thanks for them, but also use them as a foundation for the next trial that you walk through. And lastly, how can you intentionally seek God's face this week? How can you seek him no matter what you're walking through? How can you seek him? What is he calling you to trust him with this week? Then how can you share or lead others to seek his face as well? Okay, I'm going to pray for us. And as I do, the worship team is going to come and play for us. But I'd ask you to reflect on those. Where is God calling you to trust him this week, this month, this year? And how can you actively seek his face? Dear Lord, we thank you that you are our refuge. Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control, and that you are in good. And that no matter what we are walking through, no matter what we are going through, that we can trust it to you and we can know that in your uh, your sovereign way, you will use it for good and for glory. Lord, we thank you that you are our provider and our sustainer, And God, I pray that you would just open our eyes to whatever it is that we are walking through, whatever it is that we are fearing, whatever we are worried about, that you would make that real to us and that you would give us the courage to cast that to you and to trust it to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek your face and not our own reserves, that you would help us to silence our our own voices and the advisors in our life that say to run, that we would trust it to you and that in that we would find your peace your confidence, your refuge. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us, that you provide for us. Lord, and I pray that if anyone here is is here and doesn't know you in that way, that you would open their eyes and their heart to their need for you. Lord, we love you. We praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen.